God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And, and we pray that um, as, as we ramp up for this, for this holiday season, uh, that our focus would be on you. And that we would love people like Jesus loved people, that we would uh, care for people in the name of Jesus, that we would uh, throw hugs and kisses at everyone we meet, and that we would not be snooty or arrogant in our conviction of Christmas being about Christ, but that we would welcome people where they are and be able to speak words of life into them, speak your words, God. And so I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. All right, Steve, if you would. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, we read the, the chapter, chapter 40 this morning. We did the whole chapter. I'm very proud of you. We didn't lose too many people. In fact, I think you guys ramped up a little bit towards the end where you kind of get in the flow. We are actually going to do that every week. We are going to read, publicly read the scripture, Isaiah chapter 40, every week because I want this, this text to seep deep down into our heart and soul. And what you're going to find is as you read this, as you wrestle with it, you're going to find that's probably one of the most poetic chapters in the entire Bible. It, it, it paints these beautiful word pictures from a, from a purely um, liter, literature point of view. It's, it's a very beautiful flowing. It has this cadence to it, almost like Genesis chapter 1 in the creation story. It's just this nice piece of literature. But we can't just look at it as just literature because it is the word of God. And so we have to look at it in a very different way. And, and so it's a word that was spoken to God's people. The, the author was empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak this to the people of God. And so these words, the, well, all of the Bible, but these words that bring life and they breathe life. And so I want to wrestle with this chapter over, over the next few weeks. Now, I will say that um, the writer never really wanted to get his his uh, word pictures on coffee cups or Hallmark cards and things like that. So that's not why this was written. We need to pay attention to what the message God has for us, how he is revealing himself to us through, through these words. Now, up to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is a really long book, up to chapter 40, uh, the, the, it's not a very feel-good prophecy, in fact, um, it's not, it doesn't have any rainbows. It doesn't have any glitter in it. What, what he's telling the people is, listen, um, yeah, you guys kind of are messing up a little bit. And now you're going to be captured and you're going to be taken into captivity. And you're going to end up in Babylon. And, and things are going to be really difficult and really hard. But then all of a sudden we make this transition over to chapter 40. And, and the message starts to change a little bit. Or, or it starts to evolve a little bit. And now the message is going to be something about hope and grace. And that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel that that you will return home eventually and that things will get better for you and so it's it's a message of hope and grace and god's mercy god wants them to know that that their darkness will eventually turn to light and that's very relevant for people because when you when you hear a word of the lord and it says things are going to start getting really difficult for you our heart and soul would be 
would be squashed if we didn't know that, that God didn't just abandon us to our own devices, but that he has a plan of salvation and light and grace and mercy. So it's very important that, that Isaiah, as he writes this out, that he brings, he brings the prophecy at the beginning, but then there's, there's grace and there's mercy on the other side of it. Because things are going to happen the way God's word says they are going to happen. These first two verses, these first two verses, they speak the gospel. They speak the the Jesus message. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they reference um, verse 3 of Isaiah 40, and then Luke actually references verse 3 through through 5. And so this is written to the people of Israel before Jesus, but yet it speaks to the coming of the Messiah. It speaks to Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is spend time looking at the Old Testament and how the Old Testament projects or or, um, prophesies the Messiah as he comes into the future, that we will be saved, that we will know salvation. This is the good news. This is about forgiveness. This is the story of Jesus. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a story of redemption and reconciliation. I've said it again, over and again, that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And the New Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ in the physical world. And here we see that we are coming to grips with God's message to the world. It's always been his message to the world. You know, and, and, and as, I, as I do this longer and longer, this, this whole pastor thing, um, I, I still see that there's a lot of confusion in the church um, and, and outside the church in the world about the message of following Jesus, about who Jesus is, about what the community of Jesus is like. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's misconceptions and it's false conceptions. And it's not just out there. It's also within the church. Remember that the whole letter of 1 John was written to begin to correct wrong doctrine that people believed wrong things about Jesus. And what happens is instead of people, instead of people who don't go to church, instead of them going to the Bible and looking to see how God has revealed himself through the pages of scripture. They just kind of, they kind of believe or rely on what somebody once said who once went to church about something about God. And, and so they just take that as, as truth. And what I see in the church many times, the problem in the church is that people will tend to just rely on what the pastor says instead of going to the scripture yourself, instead of reading the scriptures yourself. I am just a man. I don't I, I, I take very serious the the responsibility that I have to teach and to preach, but I'm hoping for 60 percent right on any given Sunday morning. And so we have to you have to go to the scripture yourself and see what God would have to say to you and to your own heart. How is he speaking to you? And so and then we have then we have those again on the outside who look at church it, it, the church has gotten this bad rap, I think, recently. And, and, and it's about, you know, it, people think that we're just, we're just out for the money. How many times have you heard that? Well, I'm not going to church. They just want my money. And, and, you know, that's part our fault because, you know, unfortunately, the people who want the money, they got the TV show. And, and, and so we all get painted with this, with this same picture. And, and, and many would say that the church is irrelevant in today's culture, which I think, again, is our fault because we have taken a backseat and we have 
we have in some instances become irrelevant. But what happens is nobody considers the scripture. Nobody considers what the Bible would have to say. They go on hearsay. They go on what they might feel or what they might sense. We have to go back to the Bible and what it says about Jesus. I have sat down with some people and I've explained, um, they've, they've asked me about, you know, this whole Jesus thing, this whole religion thing, this whole, you know, you're a pastor. And, and many times, Sometimes they're very surprised at what I have to say about what the scripture teaches about who Christ is. And that it's a message of, it's a message of freedom and it's a message of grace and God's love. And, and, it's, and it has this hope in it. And they're surprised about that because they don't, for themselves, go to the Bible. And I used to be surprised that they were surprised, but I don't think I can be surprised anymore that they're surprised. Because, because many of us, many of us in the church... We don't read the scripture for ourselves. And I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But many of us do not deeply consider what the scripture is saying to us. How is it revealing God to us? And so when we go and when we speak Jesus into somebody's life, we're just going on what we might have heard me say, which you might not remember exactly what I said, instead of going to prayer with the Bible. Allowing the scripture to read you and not you just read it. We know nothing about the gospel. We know nothing about God apart from the revelation that he is giving us, given to us in the Bible. And if anything I say or anyone says does not line up, does not come under the umbrella, under the authority of what the scripture teaches, it's not true. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what I think. If it goes against what is revealed in these pages, it is not true. That's why it is so important to study this book, to read this book, to engage it and allow, prayerfully allow the Holy Spirit to deepen your understanding of what God is saying, how God is revealing himself. I want to challenge you this this Advent season that you would read through over these next nine weeks, that you would read through all of the Gospels. That's, that's, That's a Gospel every two weeks. That you would read through them prayerfully, allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what God might be speaking to you and what you're going to find from the front page to the last page and especially through the the New Testament, in the whole book, that it's the same message. It might be flavored a little different. It might be nuanced a little different. It might sound a little different, but it's, it's the same message through and through. And this is what we have to understand. And this is, has to be foundational for us. The message is God's message. The message is his words spoken to us. The gospel is his gospel. God speaking directly to you, to me about himself, about his son, about salvation, about justification, about sanctification, all of those things. What it says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort my people. God is speaking those words to us. He's speaking the words to Israel and he's speaking the words to us today. And this is, this is the foundation of who we are. God speaks. It's God's doing. He's the one that's doing it. He's the one that's speaking it. It's his gospel. It's not ours. It's his. And we've been invited into it. You know, one of the biggest misconceptions I see in the church and I think outside the church too, is that God is portrayed as this grumpy old man waiting, sitting on the throne, just waiting with a handful of fire and brimstone, waiting just to to throw it down on humanity. 
And he, and he won't throw it down if, if we kind of grovel at his feet like some, some beaten slave. And then he'll be kind of happy. And then he won't burn us. But he's still never really happy with us. And I know that that sounds really foreign to many of you. And like, I don't think of God that way. Well, not all the time, not like groveling part of it anyway. But we live, many of us will live in that posture. Many of us will live in that place of God is mad at me again. I messed up again. God doesn't want me part of his family again. I have to earn my way back in again. And we take that posture. We take that heart. We bring that out into the world. And maybe we don't do it intentionally, but the way we live, it, it, it carries through in our, in our, just in our relationships, in our just everyday language. And who wants to come into a church when there's this God that lives in this church and that God just wants his ego stroke so that, so that he doesn't kill us? Nobody, that's not inviting at all. And it's a huge misconception. I believe it's in the church and outside of the church. And I think another one for us in and out is this idea of faith, that it's a matter of my own willpower, that, that, that my behavior is what counts. And man, I've beaten that horse dead over the last bunch of weeks. There's this belief that says that faith is about me deciding to live better and doing religious things and looking very spiritual. See, faith is not something that we do. Faith is something that we are becoming by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith is, faith is about what God is doing in us and around us and to us. That's what faith is. Faith is his gift to us. See, the gospel is not about us. It's about God. And the Bible will point to that from page one to the last page. It's always about God. Think of the beginning. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Things Things are looking good. I mean, it's, it's perfect. And, and, they're, and they're just living life. And then, then it goes horribly wrong. They take matters into their own hands. And they sin against, God gave them just, just one thing not to do. One thing. And they did it. Just one. And they messed up. They took things into their own hands. They sinned against God. They blew it. And what does God do? He doesn't write them off. He doesn't just like, whatever, you know, we'll start over again. I'm God, I can do that. Um, you know, we'll just burn them. He does exactly the opposite. God pursues them. God comes into the garden and says, where are you? What did you do? And then he says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to do the work. It's always been about God. And this whole collection of God writings is his promise to fix it. His promise to put it all back together again. And he sends his prophets and he sends these people to speak this good news that God is fixing it. Trust in God. And what do we do as in, in humanity? We kill them. But God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't turn the other way. He continues to send them because he loves us. And he will make everything new. And he will fix it. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. You know, in, in this whole thing, God's people are wandering away. They're, they're leaving. They're going down the wrong road. They're going down a dangerous road. And God says, listen, don't go down that road because it's the wrong road. And it's a dangerous road. But they go anyway. And they do their own thing anyway. And what does he do? He goes after them. 
He, that's who God is. God goes after them. That's the gospel then, and it's still the gospel today. It's the way it's lived out today. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, this God, this man, God himself, to die on the cross. He is pursuing us. He wants us back. Do you still think that God is against you? Do you still think he's always angry at you? You're wrong. You're wrong. That's a lie from the very pit of hell itself. You're wrong. Comfort, my people, says your God. Comfort, my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. You know, nothing has changed in the world, really. We've we've spoken about that over and again. Humanity has been living in hardship ever since the fall in the garden. This, this idea of hard service. It's, it's, it's always been difficult. I am convinced that there is not a single person that, that you can meet that will say that, you know what, um, I have never experienced anything difficult in my life, and I don't believe that I will experience anything that will be difficult in my life. I've never struggled for anything in any way, and I don't foresee any struggles coming into my future. So life is just really, it really is about rainbows and glitter, and and I'm all good. And oh, and my relationships, oh my goodness, my relationships, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons, co-workers, friends, it's, it's, we we teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, and and we drink Coke, and and it's just this feel-good 1960 love in all all over the place for him. In fact, if the world will just model after me in my relationships in my life, Dr. Phil would be out of a show. We know what the answer really is to that. We know that's just pie in the sky. There's always struggle. Things, things are just like never, never quiet. And, and it can feel, life can feel just very overwhelming at times and frustrating. And, and we've experienced brokenness and hurt. And there's things that are pulling us down. And we hope it gets better. We pray that it gets better. In fact, the world around us says it will get better. In fact, if you're watching TV or how many of you got the phone call from the politician on the recording that's going to tell us that if we vote for that person, then he's going to or she's going to make it much better. Now, I'm not, please, I, I'm not poo-pooing our democratic process. You all should vote this week. You hear me? Vote. Get out and vote. Men and women have died so that we have the privilege to vote. My father used to say, vote early and vote often. So please get out there on Tuesday morning and vote. But I digress. Now, the, But, but, but this, there's this something missing. Something is broken. Something we're always striving to or striving for. There's, that we, we, the peace inside seems fleeting at times. And you know, I, I no longer fault people who look for their happiness in the world, that look for some type of release, that some type of respite. I mean, my heart breaks for them, but I can't fault them for it because the world seems very inviting. And people are desperate. People are broken. People are unhappy, like way down deep inside, unhappy. And they just want something. They want to feel better. They want to know that this isn't just a waste of their time. They, they want just a little peace. They want just a little, a, a little vacation from it all. They feel empty and they feel lost and they're tired of feeling that way. And they don't know how to fix it themselves. And so they look to this, that, and the other thing. We can't fault them for that. We, we can be broken for them, but we can't fault them. The world says, ah, you're hurting? Try this. Try that. You need this. You need the other thing. And, and they go to it. 
we go to it. We find out that it doesn't help us and we need more and we have to change things up and it doesn't satisfy. See, life is a hard service. Life can be very difficult. And you ask why? Well, sin. Sin had come into the world. We have missed the mark. In fact, we're not even shooting at the right target anymore. Sin has come into the world. We're aiming for the wrong thing. It's been the problem since the beginning. We have made something other than God, God in our lives. That's what sin is. And all of the behaviors and all of the bad things that happen, that's just the consequence of making something other than God, God in your life. And that's the problem that we find ourselves in. It's this problem of sin. It's at its core. We have turned from God and we're looking for something else to replace him other than him. And we can never find anything that could replace him. I'm going to say this, and I know that um, it might not be politically correct, but we will never know full joy and happiness and peace outside of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I am convinced with, of that with every, every part of my being. You can't buy peace. You can't buy a quiet spirit. I mean, you can buy all kinds of other stuff on the outside, you can, but you can't buy anything on the ins- for the inside. Right? And, and, and money doesn't do it. Intellect doesn't do it. Knowledge doesn't do it. Even, even the governments, they, they don't do it. And I will admit, I, I've had to come to this realization this past week um, about this whole um, peace and, and just finding a restful spirit. Um, I, I've, it, it pains me to say this, but not even the iPhone 6 Plus can buy me the peace that I long for. I mean, I will try when my, my contract is up, but I know that it will fail. But I will not give up. And so, in all of this unhappiness, and all of this brokenness, and all of this sin that's in the world, and all of the messiness, there is the Lord our God pursuing us. Comfort, comfort my people. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our sin. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to the people. Speak to their hearts. Because in the heart, that's where the real healing is going to take place. Our God knows the condition of our heart. Our God knows the condition of your heart. He knows you're tired or you're weary or or you're troubled or you're broken. He knows about it all. And he comes to us, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the Christmas story. It's the gospel story. And he wants us right where we are now. He wants you right where you are right now. He doesn't want some future uh, better version of you down the road. He loves you right where you are, right in this very minute. And he wants you for who you are right now. The God who pursues us wants you right now. The, the good news the gospel is not uh, an appeal or not a new program or a new philosophy that we're supposed to take up and practice and try to, try to get right, try to kind of um, fill in all the cracks and all the blanks and, and kind of walk this, this really good new idea of religion or life. That's not what the gospel is. Here it says, comfort, comfort my people. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine if all we had of the scripture was Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount's? And it just said, do all of these things without anything else. I don't find comfort in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, fact, I find that, oh my goodness, I'm going to hell from just the Sermon on the Mount. Then then take it to the Ten Commandments. I can't even keep all of those. There's only ten. 
I find no comfort in those if that's all I had. But God is the God who pursues us. See, the gospel doesn't start with us fixing us. Gospel doesn't start with us behaving better. It starts with God and what he's doing and what he's calling. And he's telling, he's he's saying, comfort my people. See, we've failed, we've messed up, we've sinned. Yes, we've gone our own way. And then God shows up and he offers forgiveness and he offers grace and he offers mercy. See, that's the gospel story. That's about Jesus coming into the world. And, and we are forgiven. You know why we're forgiven? You know why God wants to comfort us? Because he has been satisfied. Justice has been served. God said, I have to punish sin. He's a just God and that's justice. And how does he punish sin? He punishes it by himself. He becomes sin for us. He takes the blame for us. Christ took the blame for our sin. He went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sin. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, Dad, I thought this was Advent. I thought this was about Christmas. This is not not about Easter. True, this is about Christmas. It's about Advent. But it's always been about the cross. It's always been about the cross. It wasn't an afterthought. Jesus was born to go to the cross. God didn't get, Jesus didn't get around 30, 31, and God went, oh man, how are we going to finish this thing off? What do you think, Holy Spirit? Well, let's try the cross. Yeah, good idea. No, no, no. From the very beginning, it's always been about the cross. That's why he came into this world, so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And then, then I love the end of this verse. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Many have looked at that verse to say, wait, wait, what? All this God loves me, God, blah, 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 comfort my people, yada, sin paid for, and now I get double for my sins? Where, where, where's the love in that? I mean, like life isn't hard enough where God's gonna like punish me double what I deserve for my sin. And, and, and so, really, like, more than I deserve? Where, where is the love in all that? Church, I'm going to tell you, there is more. You get more than you deserve than you can ever imagine. Because there is great love and mercy in that last line. What it means is that the grace and mercy and the love of God is much, much greater than our sin could ever be. You cannot sin enough where God's grace and mercy will not cover it. You cannot sin enough where God would would not love you. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. God's grace and mercy is beyond, bigger, greater, more powerful than any sin that we could commit. Every sin, every sin that we have sinned, our forgiveness is double what it, what it deserves. Every sin that we've sinned, God's grace is given to us double than what, than what that sin deserves. Every sin that we've committed, God's mercy is poured out upon us double than what that sin deserves. This is the great gift of the gospel. This is the beginning of Advent. This is Emmanuel that we celebrate God with us. He had come into the world to free us from ourselves. 
We have been given the riches of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is his love poured out. This is what the communion table represents. The love of God, the grace of God, the the mercy of God. And as we enter into this Advent season, my prayer for us is that we would walk in a deeper intimacy with the Lord our God. Not because we have to earn his love, but because you are loved beyond what you can ever imagine. Not because we have to try to get better. Because of Jesus, man, you are, you, you stand before him in his righteousness. This is what the table is, that God gave his one and only son, that we would be forgiven and have grace and have mercy and have his love. And so those are the things I'd like you to remember as you come to the table this morning. And as you come, take the the cup and the bread, and then we will take communion uh, together as we usually do. So you can come as you're ready. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this building today, that these words would not be fleeting Send the power of your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit to your people and continually remind them of the gift that's been given to them. The gift of Jesus Christ. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.